How's everybody tonight? Good. Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, open up Lamentations chapter 3. It's where we find ourselves this evening. We continue our journey through the book of Lamentations. By way of reminder, uh, let's remember as we go, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 4 of the five chapters of Lamentations are each 22 verses, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each verse begins with the corresponding Hebrew letter. So it's an acrostic uh, poetry. Chapter 3 has 66 verses. Uh, so there are three uh, lines to each uh, verse that uh, all start with the corresponding letter, drawing emphasis uh, and focus to chapter 3, which is going to give us our response to the despair. Uh, and then chapter 5, 22 verses, not an acrostic, symbolizing the chaos and despair uh, that the writer is, is still dealing with. So many times you may have experienced this in your life, uh, we may know the answer to our despair, but the answer to your despair does not always take the despair away, Right? So we say, yeah, I know, I know the Lord is on the throne. I know that God is faithful. Uh, I still don't feel good yet. And this is what's going on in the book of Lamentations. Now, as we work our way through, two, two focuses that we want to pull out of Lamentations. One, the answer in chapter 3, we'll, we'll look at part of it at least tonight. In Lamentations 3, 21 to 24, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's the answer uh, in the midst of our despair. But the book of Lamentations ends with uh, uh, Lamentations 5, 19 through 22, discussing the reality of our despair and our depression. It's a relatively new thing in Christian circles to deny uh, the existence of depression. It's almost impossible to read through the book of Psalms and not find it. So the psalmist struggled with being down, being depressed, finding himself in despair, crying out, where are you, Lord? And never once does the Bible say, this is a horrible thing how do you find yourself in this state but rather the bible says no it gives it gives way to your expression in the midst of your understanding that god is still with me even though i feel like i'm locked up in the dark and there's no way out the lord is here his steadfast mercies new every morning great is his faithfulness he's here in the midst of my despair yet i still feel alone and it's Part of the, the process, I think, that we have as we work our way through our sorrow, through our mourning, it's okay to feel the things we feel. We still lift our eyes up to the one who is able to bring his comfort and his peace. And we remember there was a purpose for laments. Uh, if you remember, Jeremiah wrote a lament at the funeral of Josiah, and he sang his lament. The lament is a poetic expression of the, of the sorrow and, uh, and pain people felt 
in life. It gave a voice to a uh, protest for the destruction and suffering, in this case, wrought through God's judgment, right? The sin of the people bringing God's judgment, and that brought suffering, and that brought lament. And so they cry out in their, in their sorrow. It also gave the people a way to express uh, overwhelming emotion, right? It's okay to be able to express it. Um, it's also a, a place to voice confusion, Right? Sometimes we think I'm not allowed to be confused. I'm a Christian. I know the answer is Jesus, but I feel confused. Anybody ever been that way? All right. So the Bible says a lament is a way for that expression to take place. It is never condemned in the Bible. Those, it's not condemned. It's actually part, right, of the canon of Scripture. The goal of the lament is to provide sacred dignity to human suffering. Provide dignity to suffering. And the idea is expressed. We see it, uh, the example, the illustration in the book of Job. So you guys remember the beginning of the book of Job? Everything, he loses everything, one after the other after the other. Right? You remember? Scripture says, then he clothed himself in sackcloth and ashes, and he sat in a heap. And he was silent for seven days. And his friends gathered around him and sat in sackcloth and ashes around him as he mourned. And for seven days you have a perfect picture of what it is to comfort someone who is struggling and suffering. The Bible never says you have to have an answer. The problem that Job's friends get in is when they start talking. Right? They start telling Job, well, this is why this happened. This is why that happened. And the reality is we don't know why it happened, right? And we know the story in Job because God tells us. But unless the Lord does that, we don't know. So when we come together in suffering and we suffer alongside one another, it is to make the burden lighter for the one in the middle of the circle, right? When we rejoice together, when everybody's happy and There's a great joy. It makes the joy greater when we rejoice together, right? So we multiply the joys and divide the sorrows of our life together. That's that's the thing that God gives us that he lays out for us. So Lamentations 5, the ending of Lamentations. But you, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures to all generations Why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us. So the the lamenter is still trying to process. Even though he knows the answer, we're going to look at tonight in, in Lamentations 3. He's still processing the experience. And you and I, unless you've been through something like this, I mean, basically it would be like an enemy coming through Buell. Every single home in Buell is torn down, destroyed, rubble everywhere. You have nothing left. Families are, are utterly lost. There's, you're not connected. You're not together anymore. It's just chaos. And you're left, what, what do I do tomorrow? How do I do tomorrow? And that's where the, 
the, the author, I believe, Jeremiah, as he looks over the destruction of the people during this judgment, <coughs> that's where he's expressing that despair. What do we do? Now, we know Jeremiah's story, he keeps going. He keeps going, keep, keeping his eyes on the prize and moving through life on this twisted up little rock. The book of Lamentations, the word in Hebrew is eka. Eka means how. That's all it means. How. How did we get here? What's going on? And these are the questions that are being asked. So as we look at chapter 3 tonight, we're just going to look at the first 22 verses. Uh, so we'll work our way through at least part of the acrostic. Uh, it begins with the idea of the pain, right, that Jeremiah is feeling as he looks at the destruction that's going on. So, and the point of it is that this is from the Lord. God has allowed this into his life. He says in verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. I am the man. He's not saying, let me tell you a story I heard from somebody. That'd be a really good thing for us as Christians to let go of. You know, somebody told me that somebody said that somewhere something happened. No. Well, how does Jeremiah start chapter 3? I am the man who saw the affliction. That's me. I'm here. I was, I saw it. I see these things. And it was under, right, the rod of his wrath, under God's wrath. I am the man. This is my experience. Not somebody else's experience, not someone else telling someone else about the experience, everything that went on there, Jeremiah had seen his way through. And he says in verse 2, He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. And the point, right, I'm the man who has seen this affliction, the rod of the wrath of God, and it is God, the Lord, has led me to this place. The Lord has driven me and brought me into this place of darkness where there is no light. Now, he's describing his despair. I've been, I'm, I'm driven to this place. I'm driven to this darkness. I'm driven to this, to this, uh, de this depression that he's feeling. He's, his point is that the suffering is not accidental. And while perhaps that doesn't give comfort for, for some of us, the reason why it's important to understand it's not accidental. It means that it has purpose. It has purpose. There is purpose in what God is doing. It's, it's not just random purposeless events. So he says, he, the Lord, has led me, brought me into this darkness where there is no light. And the idea of light, right? Light is an expression in Scripture for the revelation of God. And so Jeremiah is saying, I don't understand what God's doing. Anybody ever been there? If something's happening in life, you're in a struggle, you're in going through difficulty and you don't understand what God's doing. This is what this is what Jeremiah is saying. The Lord has brought me here. I know that God is moving. It's the rod of his wrath that I've had to pass under. This was God's judgment in Jeremiah's case. I'm in this place of despair and uh, darkness, and I don't know what God's doing. 
Well, I know it's, I can say this is God's judgment, or I can say that God is doing something, but I don't know what God's doing, right? And there's a lot of times that the Lord will leave us in that place where we don't have the answer. Here's the important thing. The author is describing his despair. He's not pretending he doesn't have it. He's saying, this is, this is the struggle that I am working through. This is the struggle that I'm trying to fight my way through. This is the struggle in the midst of my suffering. And the understanding that this suffering is brought through and to me by the hands of God. That's exactly how Job was struggling, right? All these things have happened in my life, but they've occurred passing through the hands of God into my life. And then he's going to go on. He's going to say, look, I, I, don't see, <clears throat> I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Look at verse 3. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. The idea is his hand is against me. Uh, it's like moving from one slap to another slap to another slap to another slap. And he's saying, I don't see when it's a stopping. I don't, I don't, when, it, when, when am I going to wake up in the morning and not want to weep? I've heard these things expressed in 25 years of ministry thousands of times. I've heard a mother whose, whose child committed suicide say over and over and over and over and over and over for years. I don't know the last time I woke up without weeping and crying. The sorrow, I'm having a hard time escaping the sorrow. I'm broken. And that that is not a sinful place to be in. That is a real place to be in. So here, Jeremiah, right, looking over the destruction that he sees, he's saying, I don't see an end to it. I don't know when this is going to stop. When will I feel normal? Uh... I was talking to, to Weston uh, last week. You know, they just came through Christmas and first Christmas since Casey went to be with the Lord, right? And uh, Weston said, man, that was, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. You think it'll be better next year? I don't know. I, I don't have to have the answer. I can just try to make the sorrow a little lighter, right? Yeah, I'm sorry, brother. There's a day coming. There's a day coming. So he's like, look, the, the darkness, when will this end? When will there be a day that's a new day that is everything is good? And really, for people who have never felt that kind of despair, you really can't understand it. You know? And, and honestly, I, I hope you never do. But for those in the midst of it, it's a hard place to be in. Uh, in fact, that kind of sorrow just makes you feel more broken, right? Look at verse 4. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. Now, none of Jeremiah's bones were broken. He's talking about the, the way he feels. He just feels wrecked. 
He just feels wrecked by the things that he's been through. He feels wrecked by what he's, what's going on. He's saying, in essence, I am made old. I feel old today. Uh, you have the same thing in Job. Job chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 3. Job says, let the day perish on which I was born and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor light shine upon it let gloom and deep darkness claim it let the clouds dwell upon it let the blackness of the day terrify it that night let thick darkness seize it let it not rejoice among the days of the year let it not come into the number of the months behold let that night be barren let no joyful cry enter it let those curse it who curse the day who are ready to rouse up leviathan let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light and have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. Chapter 7, Job says, My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens and then breaks out afresh. The idea of Job struggling in his phys the physical aspects and cursing the day he was born. And again... When we get to the end of the book of Job, God doesn't say, Job, 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 you, you and me. No, what does the Lord say? In all this, Job did not sin. He says to Job's friends, you guys, you lot over there, you need to pray that Job prays for you. Because if he doesn't, all these things that happen to Job are coming to your house. Because sometimes we don't know what to do with people who are mourning. It's okay. It is, it is a part of our existence. And it makes us feel old. And it robs us of our hope. And that's what's going on. He's being robbed of his hope. He has besieged and enveloped me, verse 5, with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. This is the lamenter describing where God has brought him. So that he's saying, look, this is, this is the road the Lord has brought me in. I am surrounded by bitterness. I am in a place of hopelessness and despair. I feel forgotten and forsaken like the darkness of the grave. And my chains are heavy. So this is a, just a real expression of what's going on. It's not uncommon. The psalmist has similar language in the laments in the Psalms. <coughs> Excuse me, Psalm 143, verse 3 says, For the enemy has pursued my soul, he has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. I feel like I'm trapped in the grave, the abode of the dead. Psalm 88, uh, verses 3 through 7 say, For my soul is full of trouble. My life draws near to Sheol. That's the grave. I am counted among those that go to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lay in the grave like those who you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Have you ever been caught 
in a set of waves at the beach <clears throat> and you're hopeful that the set is short because you're not sure how much longer you're going to be able to hold your breath, every time you come up, if you never experienced it, you should go to the beach. It's a lot of fun. But you get, you, sometimes the sets of waves come in, and if the first one wrecks you, basically, at least in my experience, the way the timing works out, about the time you get back up, the next wave hits. And then, so you might just get enough, you got a second to suck in some air, then the wave hits and tumbles you again. And then about the time you get up, the next wave comes. The next wave comes. But it's a good way to describe the despair, right? It's a good way to describe depression. It's a good way to describe the struggles that people who are in deep sorrow can go through. And so the point that he's saying is, look, my, my future looks hopeless, but in and through it all, he's saying, Lord, you brought me here. You, you've brought me to this place where, where I'm surrounded bitterness on every side, right? It's all around me. You brought me to this place where I feel hopeless, where I am in despair, where I feel forgotten. This was something that David would write about often. In fact, he, Jesus is going to quote the 22nd Psalm, right? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? What's that a description of? Oh, yes, it's a description of the cross and the events of the cross. You read Psalm 22, it's incredible. But when David wrote it, it was a description of his despair, his struggle. There's, not a, there's nothing in the Bible that pretends that's not part of life. Right? That's something else. But that's not, that's not what the Bible says. Look, he's saying, I... I don't know how to escape this. I'm surrounded with bitterness. He's going to give us the key in a minute. So don't just hold on to the dark stuff. He's going to say, look, I'm surrounded with bitterness. I'm in hopelessness. I feel forgotten. I feel like there's no escape. I have these heavy chains on me. And we can picture what all that looks like, right? Being stuck in heavy chains. Put those heavy chains in the water with waves coming over your head. Yeah, oh, you'd be freaking out a little bit too, right? And sometimes circumstances of life can feel like that. But here he goes on and he begins, uh, he begins a prayer in the poem. He says, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He's asking this question like, I'm calling on your name, but I feel like my prayers hit the roof. And then they just come back down. You ever felt like that? He's like, I'm, I'm calling, and it's like, it's going, but I, I, I'm making a sound, but I feel like you don't hear me. I feel like you don't listen, like you've closed your ears to me. Why does he feel that way? Because he, he's not doing what I want. What do you want? I want whatever brought me to this place to go away. But one of the most beloved psalms, right? The 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Where does he promise us that we will walk? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Why? 
because you're with me. He doesn't promise you're not going to walk in that. He doesn't promise you're not going to be in the dark. He doesn't promise you won't be in despair. What does he promise? His presence. He doesn't promise ease of life and, and, and deliverance from every struggle. He doesn't promise deliverance from the difficulties. What is it that he promises? He promises his presence. That's why the 23rd Psalm begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall, I don't need nothing else. I just need you. So that's where the Lord is. He's saying, look, my path, you have made my path difficult. Ever feel like you had to walk a rough path? You made my path, look at verse 9. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. I try to go this way. And I can't go that way. I try to go this way. I can't go that way. I try to go that way. You read the, the book of Acts and you look at the life of Paul. And Paul's going to say, I tried to go this way, but I was blocked. I tried to go this way. The Lord shut the door. I tried to go this way. I'm look at, Lord, where do you want me to go? And here, the, the lamenter, this is what he's saying. He's saying, he's blocked my ways and my paths are crooked. I just wanted to go there in a straight line. If God worked with straight lines, then Exodus would have been a shorter book. Because they could have gone to Mount Sinai from Egypt, walking in like 10 to 14 days, and they took a year. Just in case you're wondering, a year is a lot more than 10 to 14 days. And they did not go straight at all. They went all crooked. They went up here, down there, over here, and each place they stopped and every struggle they had taught them something about who God is and who they are. I like straight lines. My wife likes the journey. She's way more like the Lord than I am. I'm like, okay, we're going to, this summer, we're going to go ride Tail of the Dragon. So uh, it's an incredible motorcycle ride through beautiful landscape that takes 7 million turns in 10 miles or something like that. It's crazy. I just want to get there. But there's a lot of miles between here and there. A lot of neat things you can stop and see. A lot of, a lot of experiences to be had. I'm Mr. Get on the freeway, go 100 miles an hour, get there in a couple days. But it's not going to go like that. And the reality is, sometimes that's how we think it's supposed to go in our walk with the Lord. Well, we're just, I started my walk here, boom, just get me there, Lord, let's just go. Let's. But here the lamenter says, no, you keep blocking my path and it's crooked. Why did I have to make that stop? Why did I have to have that experience? Why did I have to feel this heartache? Why do I have to endure with these people? Why do I have to struggle with those people? Why does my path have to be so crooked? And I pray, God, just take all this crookedness out of my life. And it feels like my prayers just hit the ceiling. Yeah. It's God is the one who built the crooked road. Built it just for you. Built it just for me. Every experience, the pleasant ones and the ones that were a drag, were part of God's purposeful plan in my life. And it has not always been 
pleasurable, but it has always been purposeful. He goes on to say now, describing the the perils of this road he's walking on. This is how he's describing God. Look how he's describing God. He is a bear lying in wait for me. You ever been surprised by a bear? It'll make you pucker. (laughs) I was once surprised by what I thought was a bear. Turned out to be a couple birds. And uh, I squealed like a banshee. Jason was behind me. He'll tell the story like he was so brave, but there was as big a puddle under him as there was under me. (laughs) Cry. These uh, these two, uh, what do you call them? Forest chickens, what do you call them? Yeah, whatever, them crazy things. I'm walking through the brush, three in the morning, pitch black, carrying a bow, you know, bear poop all over the place. I'm in the bushes bear like to eat out of. I'm thinking this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. About that time I take a step and two of them sage grouse come up from between my feet. And I don't know, I know that doesn't sound like a bear. It sounds like this. And they're bouncing all over you. But it didn't matter. My brain just saw big teeth. <laughs> big teeth, crazy hair. I'm going to be eaten. I have, I'm not out running to Jason behind me. He's got me. I'm dead. The one uh, thing I was thankful for is as I squealed and shrieked like a little girl. <laughs> as I shrieked, I, I called Jesus' name. I was very thankful for that. There's probably a hundred words that could have happened, and none of those did. It was the name of Jesus. I was calling on him. The last words from my lips before I was eaten by the bear that wasn't there. So when we, when we see the lamenter, right, telling the story and saying, the Lord is like a bear, you get the idea, right? Like everything in his life has been bad, and he's lost everything, and he's in total despair, and, he, and he's afraid. He's afraid, but he's afraid of what's next. Is the Lord like a bear waiting around the next corner, going to get me? The, the other description, look, is... He's like a lion in hiding. That's definitely not any better, right? Is he like a lion in hiding? Uh, Verse 11, he turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. So as you go through all of this, there is nowhere in here where the Lord says, you shouldn't talk about me like that. No. No. Because the Lord did bring him to that place. I'm I'm not suggesting under God's judgment there's no responsibility for the one being judged. But still, God brought him there, right? And so he's saying, he's turned my steps. I'm torn to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as the target of his arrow. He drove it into my kidneys, the arrow of his quiver. Now here's the difference. The one who's writing this isn't dead. He just wishes he was. 
feels like he's look, look around at everything else and all the other costs, and he's like, I, I'm not dead, but I wish I was. Like a survivor's guilt from guys in the army. You get through a bad firefight and all your buddies don't make it. That's, that's what he's feeling. He's driven it to my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all people, the object of their taunts all day long. He's saying, look, all the problems that I'm facing have, have, have come to my life through the hands of of a God who, who loves me. But I feel like he's, a, he's, he's being vicious and I'm struggling and I'm suffering. And on top of that, everybody mocks me. He's, he has directed my steps to this place. And this is a really hard place. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to continue. I don't know how to keep going. All of God's prophets felt this way. Every one of them. You heard of Elijah, right? Defeating 400 priests of Baal. The Lord proving himself through a miraculous intervention uh, that he was real. Running with all his might faster than the chariots could all the way back till he run into Jezebel. Jezebel saying, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And Elijah turning around and running with the rest of that energy as far away as he could. Crawled into a cave. No strength left to go another step. And in the middle of that cave, wishing he was dead, wishing it was all over, what does the scripture tell us? It says the Lord was with him. The Lord said to Elijah, what are you doing here? The Lord was with him. Isaiah felt this, the same way. In Isaiah 55, 8, there's, there's something we often quote about the Lord. Isaiah 55 gets quoted a lot. But there's something Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 55 that gets quoted often. And that is, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. And if you're in the middle of a cave like Elijah was you would definitely be going, yeah, Lord, you don't think like I do. And most of the time, that's what causes our despair. You're not doing, you're not doing this my way. This is how it should go. This is how things should happen. But the, but the Lord says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. I don't think like you. My ways aren't your ways. I don't do the things you do. I'm not, I'm not like you. I don't do those things. I am doing a perfect work in your life. So the question becomes, can I trust you in my desolation when everything is, is being taken? Can I trust you? In my derision, when everybody's making fun of me and mocking me. Think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. Paul kind of lays out a, uh, you know, his greatest, uh, his greatest um, um, acts that he had been through. He says in verse 25, Three times beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. 
Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at the sea. Have you ever floated in the sea for 24 hours? That can't be good. Look, I'm okay in the daytime as long as I don't see a dolphin. You say, why would you care if you see a dolphin? Because you won't think it's a dolphin. <laughs> Remember I told you about the bear already. I can't even tell you how many times I was swimming in the ocean and a dolphin swim through. And the, my first thought was not, oh, look at the dolphin. No, it was a shark going to eat me. Yeah, I know. You guys are all brave. I'll take you out there and we'll see. I look over and say, see that fin? Ah! Yeah, no, I'll be fine in the daytime. But at night? Floating in the ocean, everything, pretty much everything in the water underneath you is bigger than you and hungry. <laughs> there are fish like you eat that are big enough to eat you. Not even a shark. It's crazy. He's like a night and a day. I was in the deep, just floating. In the Mediterranean Ocean, there's Paul just floating for 24 hours. That's wild, no? That's a long time to be going. He says, I was, I was at danger in my frequent journeys. He says, I was in danger in river. I was in danger from robbers. I was in danger from my own people. I was in danger from Gentiles. That's other people. I was in danger in the city. I was in danger in the wilderness. I was at danger in the sea. I was in danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hungry and thirsty, often without food, in cold and exposure. That's Paul describing his ministry. The scripture tells us in the book of Acts that when Paul was low, the Lord sent his spirit to encourage him. How did he encourage him? Did he take all of it away? No, how did he encourage him? His presence. Same way he wants us to encourage Job. Our presence. That's how we do it. You, I was watching a, a movie about Paul and they were had a section in the movie where the the people were facing persecution, and so you have whole groups, families, children, mom, dad, uh, being taken out by the Romans out into the Colosseum to be, you know, killed by uh, gladiators or devoured by animals. And there's countless, countless, countless stories of those people going out onto the sands of the auditorium, grouping up together and singing hymns till the animals devoured them. And we would say, how'd they do that? His presence. That's how. Because the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. I don't need all my stuff to work out. I don't need everything to come up roses. I don't need everything to, to follow a specific right plan or whatever. I just need him. 
If I have his presence, then I have what I need. Verse 15, he goes on. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me, satiate. He's, I, it's, this is a picture like Christ on the cross. Look, he's saying, I'm filled with bitterness and <clears throat> I'm thirsty and he's giving me wormwood to drink. Gall. It's a bitter plant drinking vinegar instead of water. But here, this is a description of the lamenter saying, I, I <coughs> personally am filled with this emotion, this bitterness, this frustration, this anger, and, and he provides me with vinegar to drink. Like, it wasn't exactly what he wanted, right? It wasn't exactly what he wanted, but this is what was provided. Listen, verse 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. When the people were starving to death, and this still happens around the world in areas where people are starving, where they have no food. He says, I ground my teeth on gravel because in the, where the millstone would be, where they would grind the wheat, when there's no wheat, they would go back to that place and they would dig out the sand and the little pieces of gravel and they would eat that so that something was in their stomach to try to satisfy the hunger. He made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. Where's he at now? Sackcloth and ashes, right? Weeping, crying out to the Lord. My soul is bereft of peace. I have no peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Now he's got to the point. I am broke. Totally, completely, I got nothing. I'm in the dark. I'm crying out. And now he's going to focus from from uh, verse 18 on, he's going to focus on ending hopelessness. How do, I, how do I end hopelessness? He says in verse 18, so I say, my endurance is gone. I don't have the strength to keep going. And my hope uh, from the Lord is gone. I don't have any hope. I don't have any endurance Then he says, I remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So he's at the end. Everything, I'm at the end, I'm at the end of my reason. I'm at the end, I'm, I'm just in a place of abject humility. And then he says in verse 21, but this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This is where I find my hope. The love of God, the steadfast love, the faithful love. That's the word chesed. Chesed is a Hebrew equivalent, I think. This is my opinion. I, I could probably find somebody who agrees with me. Uh, hesed is the Hebrew equivalent of agapeo. 
It is the faithful love of God. It's that love of God that is his faithful love that he bestows that has nothing to do with your circumstances. John 3.16 talks about it, doesn't it? For God so, you remember how it goes, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. The world might not say, well, that all felt loving. Because our view of love is uh, not faithful, guys. Our view of love is not faithful. We, are not, we, are, we do not do well practicing faithful love. I, I wouldn't say that's a, a gift of humanity, right? We struggle with that. But God, he, he, is, he, he will love faithfully. And so here the lamenter says, I'm at the end, I'm broken, everything gone, crushed, there's no, all my bones are gone, right? Eyeballs out of socket, I'm being eaten by bears and lions, I'm laying here in a, in a heap, and this is how I bring hope back to me. The steadfast love of God. I focus on the steadfast love of the Lord, it never ceases his mercies never end i focus on the faithful love of god and his endless mercy the bible tells us very well where the mercy of the lord where the grace of god is bestowed The grace of God is bestowed upon the humble. The grace of God is bestowed upon the broken. The grace of God is not bestowed upon the proud. God says, I resist the proud. I give grace to the humble. To the the one who comes to the end of his rope. What is it that... That David said, David said that the Lord is near unto the broken hearted. Why did he say that? The most truthful I have ever found man to be is at his most broken. Truthful about himself, truthful about his circumstances, truthful. It's just, right? Everything's gone. I got nothing. I remember being in that place, understanding the things that, that the lamenter is laying out even here. He's laying out this idea that the steadfast love of the Lord, it's there. His mercy's never come to an end because that mercy's being bestowed upon what? The humble, the one who's broken, the one who's there crying out. What's he say? They're new every morning. They don't go away. They're here every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He says, God is faithful even though I have lost it all and I'm in a cave and I've got nothing and everything's been lost and I feel totally forsaken and forgotten and I could not possibly feel any worse than I feel right now. 
This I know. The Lord is all I need. That's what it says. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion. David said it like this, the Lord is my shepherd. This is how this cry is made from men and women of God throughout time. I, I understand sorrow. I understand intense love. I understand having to be in horrible, horrible places at horrible times. I remember sitting in a hospital room with uh, doctors feverishly working on a baby who had been run over. And I'm standing there with mom and dad, and they're totally wrecked. Because mom didn't see the baby run out the front door, and dad didn't see the baby when he pulled out of the driveway. Now here we are, baby's dying, doctors are doing everything they can, we're... We're sitting in a room. There is no more broken place than that. And you say things like, God, you could just make this all go away. You could stop it. You could push rewind and we just back up. And, and I, I noticed that, that my, you know, my daughter went out the door. I could just notice that, that something happened. I could just look in the mirror and, and I've seen her. There's a hundred ways that this could have been avoided. In the end, the Lord is all I need. The Lord loves your babies more than you can even imagine. The Lord loves them more. The Lord will and has and does care for them, but his thoughts are not my thoughts. His ways not my way it's his way I want a straight line God makes a crooked line if I want a crooked line maybe the Lord makes a straight line I don't know but I know his ways better and the answer to my despair is realizing what David knew even in every lament he wrote in the psalm what Jeremiah knew in this lament all five poems what Jeremiah knew was All I need is the Lord's presence. And in that place where I'm weeping and I'm crying and I'm snot, it's ugly cry, snot's all over the ground, it's dripping down your face, and all of that, the Lord's not there judging you for your sorrow. He's not judging you for your mourning. He's just there. I'm here to give you mercy, to extend my grace. To accomplish his perfect purpose. God's ways are hard, but they are good. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to continue our journey through the, through the great lament poems in Scripture.
through the times, Lord, when your people are crying out for mercy, they're crying out for understanding, and so often the, the answer that you give them is your presence. I'm here. So Jeremiah would write, this is all I need. The Lord is my portion. And I am his. Song of Solomon, he said it like this. I am my beloved's and he is mine. It's, it's me and you, Lord. It's me learning to trust that you are what I need. For isn't that what it means when Moses came and said, who shall I tell the children of Israel is telling me to tell them, you know, I can't just say God said, what, what do I do? How, what do I tell them your name is? It didn't matter. They didn't know his name. Nobody knew his name until Moses. Nobody knew. But he said to Moses, I am. I am everything you need. Has sent you to them. You tell them, I am. I am here. I am what you need. I am what you need in any moment, in any struggle. We think we need a thousand other things, but all we need is him. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to find our comfort in your presence and be glorified as we do so. In Jesus' name.